1: Hello and welcome to Chinese Whispers with me, Cindy Yu Every episode I'll be talking to journalists, experts and long-time China watchers about the latest in Chinese politics, society and more There'll be a smattering of history to catch you up on the background knowledge and some context as well How do the Chinese see these issues? As you can imagine, the Cultural Revolution is not an easy topic to talk about inside China and even less so to teach about it Professor Sun Peidong was one of the few academics in the country who were able to teach the subject through her work at Fudan University in Shanghai, a very high-ranking academic institution. But on this episode, I speak to Professor Sun about her exile from China, not that she would necessarily call it as such, but it is essentially what's happened to her. Since 2016, she has been the victim of increasing scrutiny on her curriculum, having her journal articles being rejected from Chinese-language journals. Increasingly, she had to publish in foreign languages, and eventually her students turned on her, reporting her to the university in pretty ironically cultural revolution ways. This is my conversation with Professor Sun that we recorded early in the year. At her request, I held off on the interview until today because she has now safely landed in America, where she will take up a new post at Cornell University, continuing to teach Chinese history. In this frank discussion, I talked to Professor Swin about academic freedom and diversity of thought on Chinese campuses. I talk about what it was like to shed light on the realities of the Cultural Revolution to students who had never heard that side before, and I talked to her about her last few years in China and asked her whether or not she's ever going to go back. I started by asking her to describe her course at Fudan University back when she was running it.
0: So my uh, previous teaching at Fudan covered modern and contemporary Chinese history, including two undergraduate courses on historical sociology, and the Chinese society under Mao, and two graduate courses on history of the CCP, that means the Chinese Communist Party, and modern and contemporary Chinese history in the history department. As a, a digital visiting professor at Heidelberg University for this academic year, I just finished teaching a course entitled Life and the Death in China under Mao last week. So, if you want to know more about my teaching experience at Fudan, I would like to tell you uh, a story about my teaching experience there. So a uh, Frenchman uh, attended my seminar entitled the Chinese Society under Mao in 2015. I gave an introduction to the course during the first section. He was kind of red-faced and I could see her his fists tightly clenched. Mm. So this young man stood up and asked me not to use the word Mao when speaking of Chairman Mao Zedong, whom I'd uh, mentioned many times in that uh, section. I asked him why. And he said, you should say Chairman Mao or Comrade Mao whenever you mention this great man. If you lived in my hometown for several months, you would never undermine Chairman Mao by using such a disrespectful word to name this great leader," he said. But he was so frank and brave. Huh? I really like students of this kind. I should say, <laughs> but I explained to him saying something like scholars in our field re- refer to three key figures during the Cultural Revolution, named, uh, namely Mao Zedong, Lin Biao, and Zhou Enlai, more simply as Mao, Lin, and Zhou when speaking and writing about them. I don't think there is a disrespect in those re- references. But I really appreciate your frankness at the end of this term. When you have finished all the reading, writing and other assignments, I hope you can come back to me and tell me your own thoughts on the question you asked me today. But that story was quite quite funny. It turned out that he dropped my course (laughs) when the window shopping period ended. After learning that he came from the countryside in Hunan, Province, where Chairman Mao was born in 1893, I really understood his deep admiration for Mao. All his knowledge of Chinese contemporary history came from high school or middle school historical textbooks. His parents, I, I assume, relatives and friends, might share similar values with him. Though he was economically disadvantaged, his intelligence and good performance in school won him a government scholarship from state-sponsored initiative to offer opportunities for higher education to students from China's less developed uh, regions. I took this student's comments seriously, as I always did and I will do. Even though he didn't want to continue with my class, what did I do? I uh, printed all the reading materials section by section and I asked one of his uh, roommates who had remained in my class to pass them along to him he wrote me an email uh, finally in the end of the semester saying that he'd like to take the course during the following term. That's one of the stories in my previous teaching at Fudan.
1: Do you think that his respect, love for Mao Zedong was representative of the students that you had or was he at one extreme of things because of where he had grown up?
0: I guess that's one kind of thoughts which you can find in that generation, I mean the young generation, compared to uh, this uh, young uh, Frenchman. If you talk with the other students, who have better uh, family background or who were born and raised in big cities. And also they went to the uh, very good, privileged middle school, high school, and they have very good historical teachers, junior high or middle um, high school. That gives you different uh, impressions. At that time, before the uh, college, they already have Uh, substantial historical knowledge based on their learning during the high school. I mean, that's a different uh, story.
1: Yes. And you've also written about students on the other side of the extreme. You had one female student who had depression, very sadly, which was made worse by studying abroad. Can you tell us her story?
0: Oh, yes, that's um, another story. Uh, Basically, she was born and raised in Guangzhou and uh, has a very uh, good family background. But uh, her parents were students during the 1989 uh, pro-democratic protest in Tiananmen Square. So her parents have very terrible memories about contemporary Chinese history and which have tremendous influence on her life choice, even the discipline program. I mean, when she entered in Fudan University, her parents asked her not to do any research or learning on the humanities or social science. But finally, she chose to involved in the history program, which was already against uh, her parents' willing. Actually,
1: well, they they were scared. So they were scared because of their experience at Tiananmen Square about what happens when you go close to that line.
0: I guess their parents all had a vivid memory on what had happened during their you know, college years. So they really want to be very cautious and want to be very protective to their only child, right, her daughter. So they want to make sure that she can live a life, I mean, peaceful life, normal life, not so dramatical as they had, yes.
1: And what happened after she took that course at Fudan University?
0: Yes, she uh, actually she took uh, two uh, courses from uh, with me and she was so passionate on the new materials uh, reading materials we used in class and she she was so done uh, active in debates and uh, you know discussions in class and after class and she really read a lot about the the stories and the history out of class whenever she uh, came to me and asked me to give her uh, additional reading list i always always be have, uh, be ready to 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 give one or two new published books and she really um she was so passionate on the history uh, and the memory, and she decided to do research on that topic. She's an excellent student, and she got an opportunity to go abroad and study, I guess, one year in Western universities. Well, she learned much more, huh? Uh, she now, at that time, she could uh, get uh, full access to any materials online, and she read a lot, and then she started to do her
1: own research. And to be clear, this this research, her research topic is about the Cultural Revolution, and she could have access to things she couldn't have access to in the West before when she was in China.
0: Exactly, and uh, I guess she just, uh, she was so passionate, and she... Read. She wrote day and night, and uh, uh, to some degree, and she was so sad and so she was so depressed, and uh, because of what
1: she was studying. Yes, so it really affected her to know that about the Cultural Revolution. Yes, yes, you know those and sanitized version. Exactly the dark
0: side. I know. I I guess for a young uh, soul, and I just think she was not ready to embrace that period of history and memories. And also, she did some interviews. Those interviews, the the life stories of those interviewees, also. Uh, I guess, had impact on her.
1: And what is she doing now?
0: Her other uh, classmates and also uh, me, we are just following up and checked on her frequently. Uh, She's also, she's very brave. And she, she chose to to have a gap year. And then she wrote a memoir, uh, a story. She's a very excellent, I, I mean, she's a very good uh, storyteller. And, uh, you know, through writing the novel, and she basically, she, she's now, she's quite good. And she has already applied the, uh, a master degree program in another very good uh, Western university she will go.
1: So she doesn't want to stay in China to do her work?
0: I guess if she wants to continue to do the research on that topic, that will be a better choice for her to leave.
1: Yes. Well, we'll come on to that choice that you made similarly a bit later in the podcast. For now, did you have a similar experience uh, when you were studying? Because you spent quite a long time studying in France as a young woman. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? Did you also, like your student, look for things that you couldn't get access to in China and what impact did that have on you?
0: That's for sure, yes. Um, I still remember a similar thing, you know. The first time when I arrived in France, that was 2001. I was a graduate student, um, majored in uh, French literature. I was so shocked, actually. I have to admit because at that time I for the first time I saw some videos and I saw some you know uh research papers about the um contemporary China history that I have never heard and my uh, professors teaching my teachers you know both in high school and in college I've never been taught that and mm. I have never spoke that part, part of history with anyone. So when I first time, you know, when I saw those resources, I was totally shocked. I thought at that time, immediately I realized, uh, you know, there's uh, so many ra- uh, narratives about the same uh, historical event. At that moment, I realized that I if I'm really interested in something, I have to try uh, very hard to dig deep enough to find multi-resources, uh, uh, you know, not to rely on only one resource, especially some kind of official, official narratives.
1: On the Cultural Revolution, the party itself has recognised that it was a mistake maybe you'll correct me on that. (laughs) After Mao passed away in 1976 and ended the Cultural Revolution, the so-called Gang of Four were put in front of show trials and the party seems to have a relatively straightforward narrative for it in the years since because they just say the Gang of Four was the problem, it wasn't Chairman Mao that was the problem. And that, you know, given that the Gang of Four were all punished afterwards, seems to solve the problem pretty neatly. But I wondered if you can, you know, what, what you think about this, which is that, I'm reading this book at the moment about uh, called the Three Body Problem. Santi, Went to you? In there, there's a there's a really vivid description of a struggle session from the Cultural Revolution. One of the main characters, her father you know, was a professor of physics and because he had taught Einstein's theory of relativity, the Red Guards had rounded him up because Einstein was seen as anti-revolutionary. He'd gone to America to help build a nuclear bomb and all of this and beaten the professor to death. All of this was described, obviously it's fiction, but all of it was described in vivid detail in one of the most popular sci-fi books in China that is now being made into a Netflix series. So, does, has China moved on, essentially? It's okay to talk about the Cultural Revolution in a way that maybe it's not okay to talk about Tiananmen Square?
0: I think we, our nation uh, hasn't um, moved out of that tragedy. Very sadly and very unfortunately, we all have to survive or live by carrying on our historical burdens, Right. I guess those moments, are uh, terrible moments, like the Tiananmen pro democratic uh, protect uh, movement or, and the Cultural Revolution, Great Famine, anti-3, anti-5, Anti, or the anti-rightist movement, all those things, they have been part of our national history, and they have already had are tremendously terrible memoirs in our generation's memories that have been part of our nation. So you, if you forbidden people or professors or students, young generation to have opportunity to fully discover the history, the dark side, of the history and fully debate on what had happened during that terrible moment. And if you couldn't allow people, professors and students to discuss what we could have done at that moment, the party, all the state, all the people, all the intellectuals, leaders, how can you imagine that our nation can move on How can you imagine that our nation can have a better opportunity in developing its economic, social, you know, at many levels? That's just uh, impossible, right? It's just that you have a body, you have a cancer. And you you said, oh, no, that's not a cancer. That's just that you have a problem with your digestive system. You lied to yourself. You lied to your body. And the body will make its own choice. That means over one night, the body will die without your recognition, right? Mm. So that that's definitely not what we want to see, right? Look at China. Now we have a huge impact, the whole society. If we cannot handle, deal with well our own social problems what kind of impact will be lead to the whole humankind we have 1.4 billion people in this earth right even this maybe it's not so many like 1.4 billion but still we are we are a nation with large population right
1: yes do you think that China ever recognised the cancer of the Cultural Revolution?
0: I'm not optimist at this point. And uh, I guess if we continue like this, if we continue doing what the party asks us to do, if the young generation was not allowed to do the research, which which are very... uh, uh, closely connected to their awareness, to what happened in China, how can you expect people to fully support the state or the party? If we cannot see clearly or ratify what we have done, how can you expect that we can do differently uh, in a better way?
1: Well, I've asked this question of older generations in my family. My grandma, for example, who was a victim of the Cultural Revolution and, in fact, can never remember my mum's actual birthday because she had such a terrible time at the hands of the Red Guards during the time of my mother's birth. But the way she says it is, and, and this is a phrase that everyone uses, fengkuan nian dai, the crazy years, the crazy era, and for her and for many other Chinese people, it seems that was an exceptional time and that will never repeat itself. And that's why we don't need to be worried about it. We don't need to talk about it, at least in a way that has ramifications, because China is so different now. What, what do you say to that perspective?
0: I don't agree with that. You just like you you have, a, you know, you, you you have a daughter and she has some kind of problems because, you know, in, for example, the way she interacted with others, her classmates, for example. If you see that, if you, you cannot, you avoid to tell her what she has done maybe is not so appropriately, and what kind of options she could choose, and then the problem will, still, will be still there, right? I think it's a the similar theory, similar logic for one nation to look back uh, its history. If people say that, I would think uh, uh-huh, that would be too naive. Because w- when you see uh, the party is no longer that one, of course, it's no longer la- uh, than that one. But you have to look at the uh, nature of the party or the nature of the history, right? And you have to, you know, don't buy people who say this or that, don't buy so easily any of narratives, but look at what one organization or institution, what they have done, right? I guess that will be more convincing for people who believe or who choose to believe or choose not to believe, right?
1: And you clearly loved your job teaching at Fudan. You you have these students who you you kept in touch with. Can you talk a little bit about why you've left? Because now you're talking to me from Paris, where you've been for a year now.
0: Many things happened in the last few years. Um, Long story to be short. I guess publications and teaching not the two things I can, I I really hold very dearly. Um, but I could no longer publish my research in Chinese mainland after two invited articles were rejected during the final process of proofreading in uh, 2015. The chief editors indirectly admitted to one of our common friends that their superiors intervened in the final stage of the publication. This is why all my publications after 2015 have been written in English, French, and the traditional Chinese. I can give you another example. In August 2017, Cambridge University Press combined with a Chinese order to block access to 315 uh, politically sensitive articles published in its journal, the China Quarterly. My two articles were on the banned list. Of course, the China Quarterly turned back to the censorship later on and gave a full access to Chinese readers after the backlash from the international academia. But I have to say from the autumn 2013 to the spring 2016, my teaching at Fudan went well, actually, but the teaching situation had been difficult and depressive since uh, 2018. Fudan was the only university in mainland China that still offered courses about China's Cultural Revolution before 2020. As the last professor in all Chinese universities in the mainland who taught the history of the Cultural Revolution, I could no longer teach in a normal way since 2019. Why 2019? Because after being a a visiting scholar at Harvard and Stanford from 2016 to 2018, I returned back to Fudan in September 2018. My teaching had been very heartbroken since then. Uh, you know the xin xi yuan, that means the informants, huh? are bonded in my classes. Big characters, posters, da they call, uh, decorated my office door. These are students. Yes, by uh, one of the uh, one of students. I endured uh, personal attacks, such as name-calling, vicious curse, and a death threat to myself and my family members on Chinese social media, Weibo. And um, of course, I uh, also received spot checks on my courses from inspectors at all levels of university. I was formally requested both by the party secretary and the dean of the history department that I must rectify my courses to eliminate the bad influences, so-called, because a few students or student informants sent secret reports both to the history department and the provost office saying that I incited one of the female students to subvert the state. How ridiculous, huh? That student was very active in my course, and I have never knew her, you know, because I spent two years in the U.S., and she, and she was in my class. She was so active, and she really asked the very good questions, and one time, she, she was so interested in one question, and I have a book which is newly published, highly related to the question she was so interested in. And I just gave her the book. And then students who thought that was uh, evidence that I uh,
1: support her. <laughs> Was your book published in Chinese already? Yes. So you just gave her a book that had already been published. Yes.
0: And she, you know, she was, uh, she just, uh, I guess I saw she published, uh, she sent a post saying, oh, I received a book from Professor Sun. And then her uh, classmates saw that. And then that, that book became uh, an evidence that I support her for some wrongdoings, you know, those kind of thing. But, but however, I mean, I totally understand the party secretary's endeavors on, on me over years as, I, as a so-called troublemaker, I mean, myself. I have to admit that I wasted her time a lot, really a lot, in maintaining ideological purity, preventing the dissemination of Western concepts of human rights and free speech, and ensuring the faculty remain loyal to the party. If you interested or our our listener uh, are interested in, maybe you guys can find one essay uh, titled "Love and Passion: Teaching the PRC History in China Today," which was published in PRC Historical Review in uh, August 2019. In brief, if I use one word to say, I will be. The situation violated principles I hold very dearly about doing what's right and truthful and honest. Doing research and teaching in China was great in many, for me in many ways, but there is a sophisticated game and its rules are there. I really don't like them, so for people who set up those rules, I would like to say, please enjoy. I quit and I retreat. As many people will say, this is a beautiful new world,
1: as you wish. That's all. Well, I think it's the loss of your students and many students in China that other academics like you can't continue to do what you want to in the country. Were you surprised at that happening to you? Because as scholar of the Cultural Revolution. You've come across these big character posters which were posted on people of authority in the Cultural Revolution uh, on their their property, on their offices to criticise them for counter-revolutionary acts and you were subjected to the same treatment in 2019. Were you surprised that that history has come back?
0: I'm not surprised at all because I, as I already uh, said, you know, if we continue, maintain the research tempo, or do all kinds of censorship on the PRC history, especially the Cultural Revolution or Great Famine, all those things, this will happen again, and this has been happening now, right? So what happened to me? That's just a small case, but. Uh, but the reason why that happened was still Yin haunted in our history, so i'm not surprised at all, but i actually I think it's a good lesson it's a good showcase for all our students how a normal people or a normal professor like me can be treated in this way, and that's what exactly what we learned in our course, right? Yes. I mean, what we learned, the only thing we, we have learned from history, that we never learned anything from history, right? That means we repeated those stupid things. That's why also we need to teach our young generation the real history about our nation in any country.
1: Was there a period in China's history that you thought... Differently about this? You started teaching in the early 2000s. Was that period of time an easier academic environment than what you have experienced in recent years? I guess, you know, for me, from before
0: 2016, we all went well, smoothly. I have to say, I totally enjoyed teaching at Fudan, I mean, from 2013 to 2016. But when I returned back, you know, two years later, that situation has been totally changed.
1: What happened to change it? Was it a national politics thing or why 2016?
0: I guess, you know, Fudan is just part of the whole country, right? So that's totally normal. I What I found or what I experienced at Fudan could be happening in any Chinese university. The only thing is they didn't teach or they couldn't teach the history of Chinese Cultural Revolution. I have a colleague, Professor Tang Shaojie, uh, he taught the history of Cultural Revolution at Tsinghua University, but uh, I guess in 2015 his course was removed from
1: the curriculum. Yes. Do you know what was in the papers that got them rejected? What, what, what was the content that you should have written and that instead you did write that got you in trouble?
0: That's not in trouble. For me, it's just, uh, you know, I, I didn't publish that in Chinese, that's all. Oh, if you say that's a, a trouble, that article was published in English, actually, later, of course. Uh, but I, when I reread the paper, I said, oh, You are so viciously. You said something true. Actually, I'm talking about the socialist rhetorics, the gap between the socialist rhetorics and the reality the gap between the mm. socialist uh, rhetorics and uh, the social reality in the early years of uh, PRC.
1: Gosh well, it sounds very interesting. I definitely will give it a read. And finally, Pedrodong, what will you do now? You've got quite a few different academic roles coming up, but do you think that you'll ever go back to China to work there?
0: Ah uh, why I should do that? I don't think I will. Uh, because I basically, primarily, I really hate those uh, long flights. <laughs> <laughs> Madame Chen Yan, uh, the author, Life and the Death in Shanghai, she delivered uh, her address or remarks in 1987 in National Press Club in the U.S. And uh, she was asked the same question. And I really like the way she answered the question. She said, you know, I'm 22 and a half years old. I'm old. I found the long flights very tiring.
1: But won't you miss the country? I miss it all the time.
0: Yes, I. of course, everyone. I mean, you, you miss the country. Of course, you miss the land, you miss your personal connections, your family members, your relatives, your friends. But I guess everyone has its vocation or its responsibility. For me, I was thinking I need to finish my books. I need to continue to do my research. As a a person, a scholar who was born in late 1970s, in our generation, not many people who can, you know, do their research in foreign languages. And I can do in two foreign languages. I just feel I have the responsibility to continue to do the research.
1: If not in my home country, then in my adopted country. Sun Dong, thank you so much for joining Chinese Whispers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Chinese Whispers. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're listening to this podcast on the Best of the Spectator channel, remember that Chinese Whispers has its own channel as well. If you just search Chinese Whispers wherever you get your podcast from, you will always get the latest episode first there.